Oh, good evening. It is, is everyone awake tonight? Good evening. Oh, it surely is good to be back. And I uh, just want to, before we get into the message tonight, uh, I just want to say thank you to you as a church uh, for being our sending church. We do not take that lightly. Um, it's an honor for us to represent you there. And that's what we are. We're an extension of Southwest Baptist Church there in South Africa. We're very thankful for your, yes, your financial support and, of course, the authority to be able to be there, but your prayers for us. Uh, I can't tell you how many times that, of course, uh, my mom and uh, she is a member of the church here and her and John as well, and uh, how many times they'll um, text me or text us or email us and say, you know, someone asked about you tonight, and uh, I can't tell you how many times that happened. And... Uh, Sometimes she remembered who it was, and sometimes uh, she just said that she didn't remember specifically the person, but um, we, were, we knew that we were loved and prayed for, and that uh, means so much to us. We're thankful for, of course, our sending team and just how much they've just uh, behind the scenes done, just to be encouragement to us, and I, uh, we very much appreciate that. And also, as we came back, um, you all just welcomed us back. Uh, six years changes things. Um, when we left, Alethea could barely walk. And, and now, well, if you've seen her, she knows she has no problem with that anymore. Uh, second grade, uh, Jemiah and youth department, things change, things change here, we know that. But the first night we came in, that first Wednesday evening, honestly, it felt like we hadn't even been gone. Um, just thank you so much for that. And just you've overwhelmed us uh, with being on the state of Titus house and then just. Uh, I could I spend the entire next the entire evening talking about different things, individuals, and as groups, people have done for us. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Pastor did ask me to give a kind of a brief report uh, this evening on uh, South Africa. As Brother Ted mentioned, we've been gone but six years. Hard to believe that. Uh, thankful for that, uh, for that time there. And you know, when we went, we weren't sure what the Lord would have us do, and and even even where we were to go. And I so when we got there, we were we had kind of short term plans. And we planned to spend three or six months there in Uppington uh, serving with another missionary. And while well, we're still in Uppington, uh, and just thankful the Lord just gave clear direction to us. Um, of course, that our area is a, is a heavily Afrikaans area, the Afrikaans language, and which uh, I was not uh, very uh, fluent in, actually not at all. I knew some, enough to get myself in trouble, but that's about it. Katie knew none. And our prayer was that God would allow us to learn so that we could communicate, minister to people without the language being a distraction uh, to that. And thankful that the Lord did answer that prayer. I know many of you prayed for that. And so uh, I've been preaching in Afrikaans now almost about four years uh, every week. And now how much of that they actually understand, that is up for debate. They're, they're, they're very kind, very, and they, they say they understand it, and thankful that God has been allowing that. But... Uh, Katie has been able to also teach an offer of the children's class uh, that she started about three years ago. So we're just thankful for the Lord's work in that way. Uh, had an opportunity to serve at the uh, Pablo Bible Baptist Church. Already been, it's already planted church, but kind of really more of more of a restart situation. And just thankful for the Lord's grace and wisdom and help in that. And church is numerically small, but they've been, they've been getting stronger spiritually. And that's only God working and, you know, you're praying for that. And uh, right before we left uh, to come back here, uh, they called one of the men to be the interim pastor in our absence. And 
we're kind of hoping and praying that maybe that will turn into a more permanent situation when we go back. And so just thankful for the Lord's leadership there and how he's been working and even the children's class. Uh, it was a burden of our heart. We were going to believe these young people had no access to truth other than that, but God provided a lady in the church and she's now teaching that class. So just, just God's been at work. Uh, not only at Uppington, but uh, it's, it's amazing. You just follow the Lord, and he's the one that, that does things. It's, it's amazing how that works. And when you don't, aren't the one manipulating it, and God uh, brought us and gave us contact with a precious couple in a town about two and a half hours away. Um, and through the process of time, this couple, they got saved, and uh, we had the privilege of baptizing them this last December. And start a, a mission work there in their home, and so thankful for that. And actually, they're probably eventually, eventually going to be watching this live stream. They try to watch the services, every all the services here at Southwest, and uh, we were able to continue to communicate with them through uh, Zoom Bible studies and so on. So just thankful for the Lord working there, and there's, I could tell you, many other individuals, um, but I did want to tell you about two uh, it's honestly, it's been, it had been a struggle just even uh, mentally and spiritually, just the um, not a lot of fruit that we wanted to see, obviously. A lot of tracks passed out, a lot of people talked to, um, very few have actually, actually got saved, but within, uh, we had two specific individuals we'd been praying for for quite a time, and the two weeks before we left, both of those got saved. And so we're thankful, looking forward to be able to go back and be able to, there, we're still in contact with them, and just seeing the good hand of the Lord upon it. It's not us. Uh, it's Him doing it. We're just privileged to have the opportunity to be able to uh, be a part of it. Yes, uh, we're going to be here in, in the city for about another two months. We start traveling in August. So we're thankful for the opportunity to be able to be here. We appreciate your prayers for us as we prepare for traveling. And also, if you would pray for our visa situation, we uh, um, kind of... Uh, we made, we have to do, we're on a three-year visa situation, and we made our applications uh, in, uh, with, with about, f you're supposed to do it about three months uh, before when you need them. We did them about five months, uh, actually six months before, hoping we'd get them back before we came back to the States, and they are still not processed yet. So we uh, just praying, you know, the Lord's in control of that, and just, um, so we appreciate your prayers for that situation and us as we prepare to travel. Well, I would invite your attention tonight to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. 1 Peter, chapter 5, and I do want to uh, say thank you, of course, to Pastor for the opportunity to preach tonight. It's been looking forward to it, and um, I just want to appreciate his ministry and the blessing he has been to us um, even while we've been gone. So we're very thankful for our pastor. 1 Peter, chapter uh, number five. We'll start reading verse, verse five. Notice the context here, but there's a, a phrase I want to direct your attention to, and then we will continue on with the passage. So here, Peter is writing, and he's encouraging the believers, and he's been, chapter five, he's really been addressing their church life, dealing with the elders, that they're responsible to feed the flock, and the younger, those under their authority, to submit themselves to that leadership. And then that here he says in verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye all of you be subject one to another. And here's what I'd like to direct your attention to as we begin. And be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. 
What's the therefore, therefore? Well, because God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. So therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to preach for a few moments on this, on this topic. Spiritual success in a world intent on your failure. Spiritual success in a world intent on your failure. And I understand where I'm at, so subtitle. <laughs> Just knowing you need God, it's not enough. Just knowing you need Him, that's not enough. Father, again, thank you so much for the time we've already spent, and I just ask your help tonight. Oh, Lord, I know I need you to communicate your word clearly and accurately, and we as your people need your help to understand and apply your word. And I pray you'd bless our time to your honor this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. When talk about success and... Um, you know, sometimes our minds may go to what the, the, the worldly view of success or even some so-called Christianity, what they term as success. But the word success simply means this, the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. So to be successful, you accomplish your purpose. Biblical success has nothing to do about you or me. Biblical success is this, is the accomplishment of God's purpose for your life and with your life. Well, what are some of his purposes for us? Well, for every person, his purpose is, to, is for that, that we would receive eternal salvation through faith in Christ. That's his purpose for all people, and he offers that to all people. As believers, he wants you, wants me to grow and to live as obedient children of God and then to bear witness of the greatness of Christ and of the salvation that he has given us. And actually all three of those, we can find those here in the book of First Peter. You know, that is God's purpose for us. And we could say if we would ex to experience biblical success and to see the accomplishment of God's purpose, a person must, person must first humble themselves before Christ, and then as a believer, to give themselves to, to walk as children of light and to walk in, in obedience to God, and, and then to give themselves also to be sources of access to the gospel for other people. That's his purpose. But this world. Now, when I say this world, I, we, we can talk about the world as a whole, but really everything we, we, uh, tonight, we, when I refer to the world, I'm going to talk about anything that, well, is opposed to, your, to God's will in your life. It could be your own flesh. 
could be the world system, and of course, and even our context will deal with the devil himself. This world is intent on your failure as a Christian. Well, they say, well, yeah, of course, the world, we see the news. Well, we're not talking about the news because this truth is no, is the, the, the truth that the world is intent on your failure is not something that's happened since 2020. It's not something that's happened with a current administration. It's not something that's happened with a current social agenda that's going on in our, in our country, in our world today. This has been true since the beginning of time. It's intent on your failure. Your flesh does not want you to succeed. Your flesh does not want God to accomplish his will in your life. Now, God has provided for our spiritual success. You know, we don't have to listen to our own thoughts. We don't have to listen to the world around us. We don't have to listen to what even the devil whispers in our ears to say, well, it's not possible in this day and age to see God work in our lives. No, God has provided already for you and I to experience spiritual success, even in a world intent on your failures. Here in the book of 1 Peter, uh, this is really what he's been dealing with a lot through this book. These, 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 are, these believers, or he, he starts the book, as, describes them as strangers. And for, I'm going, if you allow me, I'm going to just kind of do a summary of what's, what's coming up to this book and not into this point and not go through all the verses, but he calls them strangers. Uh, what's a stranger? Well, uh, if you've been overseas, you are a stranger. You are not native to the land in which you are at. And I'll tell you, it's different. You know, we've lived there in South Africa six years. I grew up in South Africa. And while I, uh, I love South Africa, I enjoy South Africa in many ways. We live there. It's like we don't feel in our own minds that we are strangers. But every three years when we have to go through a visa process, we're reminded. <laughs> uh, you're a stranger here. You don't belong. He calls them pilgrims in chapter 2. He calls them pilgrims and strangers where we have no right of citizenship. It's a pilgrim, it's a stranger. Uh, the believers were, we would say this, the oddballs in their society. They were the ones that the society did not receive, did not accept. They, they thought them strange. They thought, they, they, they despised their God. I'm talking about the people of the land, the people of the world. They despised the believer's God. They looked at him, and even we read this in chapter 2, how that they saw, they saw Christ as, this, as, the, as the stone that the builders rejected. He's the one that the people rejected, the Jews rejected, the Gentiles rejected, and here these people have now put their faith and their hope for eternity in this one that everyone else says is nothing more than a dead man. They mock their desire to live righteously. They accused them of, they falsely accused them. They resisted their walk of faith. It sounds like 2022. But through 1 Peter, Peter is writing them and saying, now that is what the world sees and that is what you may feel and experience, but this is what the reality is. You may be strangers, but you're the elect of God. You're the elect. Now, we don't have to be afraid of that word. We don't have to be afraid. The word elect means chosen. He chose them. The world rejected you. 
God chose you. Well, why did God choose you? Because you believed in Jesus Christ. He's chosen you. He's adopted you. You are the children of God. You are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. Your hope is in the Savior whom the world rejected, but who is still the faithful creator. They were going through great hardship because they were believers in Christ. And some might say, you know, we just want to get through life. You know, sometimes, you know, that's the way we face every day. We just get through the day. But God did not intend them. He does not intend us to just survive, to just get through. He intends us to excel. He intends us to experience spiritual success, to become and to accomplish what he designed them to be and to do. You know, God had provided everything that the believers needed to become and accomplish what he designed for them. Their success or failure thus did not, did not depend on God stepping in because he's already provided it. It depended on whether they would apply what God had given them for that success. They must be clothed with humility. Clothed with humility, he says. In the midst of this, he thinks it's describing how they are to interact as in a church family. He says, likewise, younger, to be submit yourself unto the elder. You are to submit to their leadership, arrange yourself under their leadership. But then all of you, in, in case those that are in leadership think that they have a, a closer access to God than everyone else knows, said, no, you need to submit yourselves to each other. Serve each other. Love one another. And then he transitions here and he says, and be clothed, put on this characteristic, namely humility, lowliness of mind. And he goes on in verse five and says, the reason for this it says, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Um, this is a timeless principle that transcends every situation of life. God resists the proud. Well, what does it mean to be proud? It means to show yourself above others. It means that you have an overconfident estimate of your own means and merits and thus despising others or treating them with contempt. Say, well, obviously that's, that's a bad thing. Right, it's a bad thing. Obviously God would be opposed to that, but I mean, I'm not a proud person. Well, if you say that, then that might indicate something about your overconfidence or my overconfidence. Well, well what is, how would this be expressed? Well, of course, we would think of pride as be, of viewing yourself as better than someone else and Obviously, that's, that's a problem. Proud to be expressed this way, thinking in light of your rights and what you deserve from others and from God. That's an overestimate of your merits. Having an attitude of self-sufficiency. I don't need anyone else. I got this. How about this one? Passively 
neglecting to seek God's intervention. So I'm not proud. I don't lift myself up. Well, how often, how diligently do you seek God's intervention as you go through daily life? Because if you're not, if I'm not, then that's implying that we think we don't need God. I say, well, I know humble people. They're always talking about how much they can't do and how little they are. And, and that, well, this is also an expression of pride, limiting God's ability to your own ability. If you say, I can't, uh, it's hopeless, what's the use? I've tried God's way before, what are you saying? I know better than God, because God says all things are possible with Him. God resists the proud. Literally, He set, arranges Himself in battle array against. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on that side. The other side, He says, are the humble. God resists the proud, well, I don't want to be there, and gives grace to the humble. Well, the humble, well, they're the opposite. The humble are those that, to be, to be humble means that you understand your inability to cope. You understand that you can't, but God can. The humble views himself not as the other superior, but as the other servant, and thus is subject to one another. He is aware of his own insufficiency. Well, that's... I, I, I'm aware of my weaknesses. That's why I don't volunteer for things. That's why I don't do things. That's why I don't fill in the blank. That's not humble. That's proud. Because a humble person will say, God, I am insufficient, but God, you are sufficient. Thus, the humble continually seeks God's intervention in both the large things and the small things because he, is, he understands that he cannot do it on his own. And thus his motivation and confidence is not based in what he can do, but in the mighty hand of God who is without limitation. The humble are given grace. Grace. God's divine aid. What we don't deserve. It's his intervention to enable us and equip us to do his will. Those who live in dependence upon God are given exactly what they need to succeed as a believer. You know, the reality is that we're all dependent upon God. We all are. The lost world is dependent upon God because he is the one that gives the rain. He is the one that gives life and breath and all things. So it does not really matter if you live or if I live in acknowledgement of our dependence upon God, it's still true. But you will only, we will only experience God's grace if we live with the application of our dependence upon God. So he says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves, put yourself low. Before him. It's a deliberate and personal choice. Say, well, I, 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 I live with that mentality. I live with that awareness. No, I don't every day 
and, and, and no, I don't face every decision and go through life every, every day with the purposeful acknowledging of that fact, but I realize I need God. It, it, it's just possible that you started in humility and got so used to it that now you still know you need God, but you no longer seek His grace. So we remind these believers, humble yourselves. It's a choice. It's an action. Humble yourselves to lower yourself in the acknowledgement of God's greatness and your littleness, of God's mighty power, your weakness, of God's sufficiency and your bankruptcy. Humble yourself. It is the choice to apply the fact that we are dependent upon him. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. No, exalt. Well, that sounds like, that sounds proud. No, that's not pride. Here's what the word exalt means. It means to lift up those that are weak and able, incapable of doing anything for themselves. God enables, equips, encourages, and sends forward. Well, what does it look like? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, most of us, we, we love this verse, and it's, it's a wonderful verse. One of my personal favorites. This verse, though, is telling us how to humble ourselves. How are we to humble ourselves? What does it look like? Well, first we need to understand what our, what's care. What's care? Well, the word care means worry, anxiety. Here's another definition is this. To be drawn in different directions. How many of you, that was your day today? Drawn in different directions. It's not a bad thing. He's not, he's not here. The implication, while the cares could be things that are negative, could be things that a believer should not be worrying about. Yes, we understand that there are plenty of that. But this work also includes those things that, that we could have concern about that either are unnecessary worry or legitimate concerns. One writer put this way, this word and could be described this way, to be pained in thinking. To be pained in thinking that you just, you're, you're so filled and overwhelmed with the burdens and the cares and the thoughts and the plans and the things that need to just be dealt with day by day, that hurts your brain to think about it. At work, home, school, church, we can often be so pulled in different directions. But the context here is dealing with the worries, with the concerns, with the care that are the direct result of our following of Christ. You know, even as we follow the Lord as, as believers and try to serve Him, there are things that come up that seem to provide a level of uncertainty and overwhelmingness that we don't know what to do with. I have to say, February 25th, 2022, we put our visas in the as the office there in South Africa, and thinking back three years ago when we did it, and we had our visas back in about 11 to 12 weeks. 
Well, it's been four months now. Our visas expire here in about four weeks. Uncertainty? Oh, yeah. To me. To me. But it's not about me. It's not about what I understand, what I can manipulate. Well, how many times do we, do we even go through as a Christian life, we try to manipulate the thing, the circumstances to fit what we think need to be done. Take those cares, those burdens, you weren't designed to carry them. You weren't designed to solve them. You weren't designed to try to find the answers to everything. It says, cast thou all your care upon him. The word cast means to throw upon, means to transfer. It means to transfer from one place to another. What are we to transfer? Our care. The things that burden us down, the things that, that just as we're going through life, realizing you don't have to bear them. A humble man will say, I can't, therefore I'm going to give them to God. A proud response would be to either not transfer them or to try to somehow hold on to them. Casting all your care upon him. But remember this, he careth for you. He wants to give you his grace. He wants to help us. He wants to give us what we need to develop us and to equip us. But we must make the choice to apply that fact and transfer our burdens to him. You know, you are dependent upon God. I am dependent upon his grace. We need his grace, but we must make the choice to apply it. So stop living according to your ability, your wisdom, and your limitations. Well, that's good for you, missionary. You're up there. You're in Africa. You can do those kinds of things. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a... And anytime you put the word just before a description, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a signal word that you're not thinking in light of who he is. Because it's not about Jonathan Switzer. It's about his grace. It's about him. Casting all your care upon him. We are dependent upon him for everything. You realize this applies to salvation? You know, if I know who I'm talking to. It's Wednesday night, but the application is here. You know, salvation is not through what you can do, what you can figure out, or, have how, or it's not based on how worthy you are for God's love. It's based on this. You're a sinner and can do nothing about it. But in spite of your sin, the creator of the world humbled himself to take your place and to die for your sins and to rise again so that all he requires from you is to humble yourself and cast your care, transfer your trust in yourself to him alone. 
and he will exalt. He will provide that salvation. He will save. But as a believer, your spiritual growth is not through you developing yourself through spiritual disciplines. And I'm all for disciplining ourselves. Yes, we must make choices, but it's our, your spiritual growth is not through spiritual disciplines. How many people do we see write books about spiritual disciplines, but the fruit of their life is not a spiritual person? It's not about spiritual disciplines. It's about this. Humble yourself to sit at Jesus' feet, to learn of him, and to follow him day by day. Amen. Having an impact on this world with the gospel is not through our persuasiveness, our personalities, or our programs. It's simply, it's through the simple proclamation of the gospel, which is the still the power of God into salvation. You know, you and I could have all the right answers to life and to ministry. But if you try to live the Christian life according to the things you've already done, say the experiences you already have, you say, I'm experienced as a Sunday school teacher, I'm experienced as a preacher, I'm experienced as a bus worker, I'm experienced as a mom or as a dad or as a grandparent. If, if, you, if you trust in yourself, you are setting yourself up for failure. Spiritual success requires you to apply your dependence upon God to everyday living. There's no middle ground here. You notice in the verse, it doesn't say, for God raises the proud and giveth grace the humble, and then there's this third category. You're one of two. You're either applying your dependence upon him in humility or exerting your independence from him in pride. There's no middle ground. And then he, he makes a transition here, and which really isn't a transition, because what he's going to do now, say now, you must apply your dependence upon him, and he's beginning to explain why it is so important. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You realize why it's so important that you, that I, daily apply and our dependence upon God, daily seek his intervention, daily transfer our burdens, our cares, and cast them upon him and seek his wisdom and his ability and his grace and his help because you and I have no hope of succeeding as a Christian without his grace. Has be sober. Or be sober, well, it means just what you think it means. It means not drunk. It's a good place to be. It's not necessarily talking about that application here, but that, that's, a, that's, that's the same word. It means this. To be in control of one's thought processes and thus not be in danger of irrational thinking. To be in control of your thinking, to be in control of how you think so that you don't think irrationally. Well, what would be Irrational thinking. How about trying to go through life on your own? Pride. Self-sufficiency. Why is that irrational? He just told us. 
God will arrange himself in battle array against the proud. That's irrational thinking to make that choice. Well, what would be sober thinking? What would be right thinking? Humility, realizing I can't, but he can. Be vigilant. Be in constant readiness. Be on the alert. Um, not just, this is not just for special people or special circumstances, but at all time. Be on guard. Why? Because you have an adversary. One that has set himself as your enemy. Why? Because you're a child of God. Because you are made in the image of God. Let's start there. Your adversary. He is opposed to your success. The devil is opposed to God's work in your life. He is opposed to God's work in your family. He is opposed to God's work in this church. He is opposed to the furtherance of the gospel. He is opposed to your testimony at work. He is opposed to you. Well, describes him here with very powerful terms. He says, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We have had several opportunities to be able to go into some of the wildlife reserves there in South Africa and be able to observe these, the, the, the wildlife um, as they live, not in a zoo. It's just you're, you're the one in the zoo, you're in the car, you get out the car, you get eaten. It's pretty simple, so we stay in the car. One of our favorites, we have a lot of favorites. One of our favorites are the lions. If we don't see them all the time, but every now and then we've had the opportunity of seeing them. Incredible creatures. It's hard to describe the size and the power of a lion um, in the wild if you have not seen one in the wild. Some stats would be this. They are, a male lion would be about six or seven feet long before you get to his tail. Weighs about 500 pounds. Um, a look this afternoon, I'm sure this really blesses you all like it blessed me. It's about the size of a female grizzly bear. Never seen a female grizzly bear, but those of you that may have been out there have. Uh, I might help you with that. I, this helps me. He's uh, a male lion, is about the size of a three-seater couch with a full-grown man laying on it, plus tail, that can run about 40 miles an hour and has a, has, a, has a head that's 18 inches from his nose to the top of his head. Power. Jeremiah and I had opportunity to go on a, a hike through one, in the wildlife preserves a few week, about a week before we came back. Um, it was just two of us and two uh, rangers who were well-equipped uh, to intervene in case we encountered some of these animals. And uh, we were walking along, been out there about an hour, and we stop in this riverbed, and he circles something in the ground, makes a circle about like this, circle about that big around. So you know what that is? I looked at it. He said, that's a lion print. That's the size of a dinner plate. And I'm thinking, great. How long ago was he here? Oh, about an hour. So since we've been walking, he was here, and the grass around us is about hip high. So you know what I did? I was sober. I was vigilant. We stayed close to those two guys with the guns. <laughs> and they're incredible creatures. 
incredible power. He describes them, though, very, very uniquely here. He says he's as a roaring lion. And we need to understand, because it helps us understand the, the nature of the devil's attack against us, to understand what does this mean? Because sometimes they say, well, he's uh, you know, the, the lion, he's, the, he, he's hunting, he's, he's searching for his prey, and thus he, you are the prey. A roaring lion is not hunting. You know why? Well, a lion's roar can be heard five miles away and it's so loud that from what I've never, I haven't measured this, haven't been this close, but they say from um, a yard away, the decibel level of a lion's roar is equivalent to 25 gas-powered lawnmowers. He's not sneaking up on anything if he's roaring. So roaring lion, why do they roar? Lions are unique among cats. Most cats are solitary animals. Lions function and operate in groups called prides. And for their pride structure, it is vital that they, for, the, for, their, for the, the prey and for their food and water, all, all other things, it is vital for them to have clearly defined territories. So you'll have a lion, that, a lion pride, or, and they will have a territory of, of could be as, much, as little as you know, eight or ten square miles if there's a lot of game, or it could be up to many more, much more times that. But however large their territory is, the male's job is to protect that territory from any of the lions or any of the predators that could come and threaten the game or threaten the pride itself. So this male lion will go out on patrol. He will patrol his territory, marking but also roaring. Why? He's telling everybody, it's my turf. Stay away or face the consequences. And if a lion finds another male lion or another predator within that territory, it's bad news for the encroaching individual. He's a roaring lion, the devil is. As a roaring lion walketh about. He's on patrol, seeking who's encroaching on his domain. Well, now, we, we read later, and we, we if in case that we don't get, spend a lot of time on it later, the last verse here, verse 11, it said, talking about God, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is not the devil's domain, but the devil is claiming it as his domain, and thus is very violent and very brutal in defending it. You're a threat to his domain. Your life as a believer, is a threat to his hold on this domain. So he's going to, with great brutality, great passion, and great, dare I say, violence, not necessarily physical, but spiritual violence, going to attempt to destroy your life. So roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I don't know about you, if I hear a lion roar, I've only two occasions have I ever heard a lion roaring in the wild. One time I was in the car, another time I was on foot. Both times, it was an incredible experience. The vibrations literally vibrate your spine. It did not give me the desire to go up and pet it. 
looking for the looking for two things, the car or the nearest ranger with the big gun, whichever one's closer. Says verse nine, whom resist? Pray doesn't resist. Pray flees. We're not pray. We're the children of the king. Whom resist? Well, it's oh, we need to find a determination ourselves to resist the devil. Uh, may you go back to the verses before that. It's not us. We are no sufficient. There is nothing in us that can withstand him. There is nothing in me that could go out into the felt, out into the bush, and face a lion like this. I'm not Daniel Boone. I don't know how to use a knife. But when I'm with the ranger and he has a very impressive piece of firepower and claims to know how to use it, I feel safe. Where, right before we went out on that hike, the rangers gave us one instruction, well, two instructions. It sounded like something from Barney Fife, obey all rules. So he said, follow our instructions. Number two, never get in front of the rifle. <laughs> I think I can handle those. We stayed in our place. Didn't matter where the lion was. Because they were between us and the lion. You realize if you stay in your place, in humble, humbly before God, yes. he is between you and the devil. Right. As whom resists steadfast Amen. in the faith. No, it doesn't mean that you resist steadfast, as in that tells how you read. No, it's, it's to resist, you must be steadfast in the faith. Your stability, your steadfastness must be in the faith, not in yourself. It must be in God's care for you, in what God has said. Follow his instructions, not your ideas. Steadfast in the faith. Whom resist, steadfast. Then it says this, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You're not alone. You're not the first one that has experienced the consequences of being a follower of Christ in this world. You're not the first one. You won't be the last one. The same afflictions are accomplished. That's like, they have, that's like there's a purpose. It's like someone's in charge beyond the devil, beyond this world, and someone's in charge and he's got a plan. The same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren. That's a pretty gener generic term, isn't it? In your brethren. Not in the elders. Not in the apostles. No, in your brethren. Why? Because it's not who you are or what you're doing that is the target of the devil's attack. It's simply because you are. You know, it's not just pastors and missionaries, staff people, full-time Christian workers that are the targets of Satan's attack. Right now, there are, what, 109 individuals, young people and adults from our church, a junior camp, plus however many others from other churches that are there. You know what's going on there? 
God is working to accomplish his purpose in those people and in our church. Therefore, the devil has set himself to try to disrupt and destroy what God's doing there. Well, just eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds. Yeah. They're a target for the devil, and he is not show mercy to the weak. Doesn't matter if you're a plumber, a CEO, or a preacher. Doesn't matter if you're a grandfather, you're a wife, a mom that, that's at home all day with the kids. Doesn't matter. You're a target of the devil and have and are going to experience the consequences of following Christ. It doesn't matter what's going on. Say, well, he attacks during big days, friend day, VBS, camp, absolutely. But what about tomorrow morning? How about in the car on the way home? How about just living life? He is on patrol seeking whom he may devour. And he does, there's no exemption. But the God of all grace, because every person is equally a target, every person has equal access to grace. The God of all grace. How much grace is that? However much that is needed to allow you to experience the spiritual success that God has designed for you. The God of all grace. And he, and he says this one. Well, I'll be careful to make sure I say it right. He says in verse 10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. You know, the, the same God that saved you is able and sufficient to get you through this life. Not just to get you through, but to develop you and to enable you and to equip you to do his will. After, but the God of all grace, hath, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. It's not that the sufferings give access to grace, but in the midst of the sufferings, you know that grace is available. After you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Make you perfect it means to complete you. To cause you to be in a condition that functions well. Establish, makes you perfect. Establish, to make stable. To strengthen, to, to enable you to do what you could not do yourself. To settle you, to give you a solid foundation. You know what that sounds like? Success. Success. The accomplishment of God's purpose. But who gets to experience that? Well, it's the God of all grace who does it. The God who gives grace. These are the results of the grace at work in your life. Who gets grace? God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble.
And God is at work in every person's life. We know that. His grace is available to every person, but you're only going to be able to experience his work and his grace in your life if you apply your dependence upon him. Because only he is sufficient, you have no hope to succeed without his grace. Why? You have an enemy. You can't resist the attacks of the devil. You can. But that's not the only reason why you're not, you can't succeed without his grace. Because honestly, the attacks of the devil are secondary. Because if you're living outside of dependence upon God, you find yourself on the other side from God himself. He resists the proud. He sets himself a battle array against the proud. Well, I'm a child of God. He will set himself against your life. No, not for destruction, but to humble you so that you can get in line with him. But how much better would it be to not wait until he humbled you. Instead, heed his command to humble yourself. Spiritual success requires you to, to apply your dependence on God because without God's grace, you have no hope to succeed. It's true as a parent, isn't it? As parents, we know what we want our kids to become. Okay, in a godly sense even. And we have, feel the pressure to make them conform. Now, should children be trained? Absolutely. But it doesn't matter if this is your first child or if you've had 20. You are just as dependent upon God as you were at the beginning. The question is, are you applying that dependence? Or are you going into their room to give correction based on how they made you feel or based on what you know they need to hear. Maybe stop. Say, oh God, I need you right now. How about at work? You know you need to be a testimony for Christ and you try so hard and you work for months, even years. You are, you are always the friendly person. You're always the helpful person. You're always the submissive person. And you get used to it. And you stop seeking God for his help and his intervention to enable you and to give you the grace and the wisdom to deal with things at work. Then you go to work and all out of blue, you fly off the handle. Testimony, gone. Why? You stop casting that care on him. How about the world? All in, the world needs the gospel. Doing it for so many years. Thankful for that. Thankful for the testament of this church. The life of this church that has given, this church has given itself since 1951 to the proclamation of the gospel here and around the world. We say this, we know missions. We know soul winning. But can I tell you, 
We are just as dependent upon him to honor him and be a help to people across the street and around the world today as this church was in 1951. We are dependent upon him. But just knowing that is not enough. We have to apply it. We must apply it. Instead of confidence in yourself, humble yourself to transfer your cares to him. Instead of being hopeless, said, preacher, you don't, you don't know what I'm going through. Instead of being hopeless, transfer your care into him. Don't just know that you need God. Humble yourself to seek his grace. So this evening, what is in your life? What is in your life? What situation is there or decision maybe that's in front of you that you're approaching in light of you instead of in light of his grace? You know, the self-reliant and the self-sufficient are vulnerable to the attack of the devil and are resisted by God himself. What must we do? Apply your dependence on God and God's grace will accomplish in and through you what you cannot. Say this evening, if we could, our heads bowed, eyes closed, we will, as we prepare for invitation. We heard a, in a song just a, just a little while ago. His faithfulness hasn't changed. His grace hasn't changed. His sufficiency hasn't changed. You know that. But is there an area in your life that you aren't actively and diligently seeking His wisdom, His help, His grace in? I encourage you tonight, if there's any area that you need to just come and humble yourself before him and, and maybe transfer some things that you're holding on to, transfer them over to, to him. The invitation is open. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you are sufficient even though we aren't. Lord, we, we need you. We know that. But so often in the heat of the moment, or even there are seasons where we can go through days, even weeks, realize that we, while we've prayed, while we've gone through the motions, and while we would not theologically deny that you are there and that we need you, we somehow have gotten so used to living life ourselves. Oh Lord, I pray you'd help me, help our church, Help everyone here. I think even right now, think of the junior campers. Lord, you are doing a work there in the lives of our young people, in the lives of the adults that went with them. Pray that your grace would be upon them. Think of the teenagers that are getting ready to go to youth camp. Know that the, the devil and their own flesh and the world around is, is targeting them. We know your grace is sufficient. Pray for our church. We know that the same is true for it doesn't matter if someone is, is from the youngest believer here to the oldest. 
you have a purpose, you have a plan, you are working in every life. This world's intent on our failure. Thank you that you are, your grace is accessible. Pray you'd help us to humble ourselves and where needed, we do ask that you would humble us yourself so that we don't bring a reproach on your name. Thank you. I pray again for the time. Pray bless the invitation as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be singing page 275, just as I am. If God's spoken to your heart, the invitation is open.